Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, June 3rd, 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 2, entitled There is a Solution, on page 23, the very first paragraph, beginning with These Observations Would Be Academic. And the share ID number for yesterday's meeting, the reason why, share ID 4564. That's 4564. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Full purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, uh, recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted that we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result, as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Meg to read the 12 Traditions.
star one to unmute. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Tradition number two, for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Tradition number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive overeating. Number four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Number five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Tradition number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Number eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Tradition number nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into controversy. Number 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And tradition number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are on page 23, the very first paragraph, beginning with these observations would be academic. And I will ask Penny E. to begin reading, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny E., a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. If you ask him why he started on the last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. 
Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bouts creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Well, Penny E. recovered in South Jersey. Major, major, major paragraph. Um, so important. I mean, important is too small of a word for us to get this, to identify in, to understand it. And being a long-time member of Overeaters Anonymous, being to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meetings, I know from experience that this part of this book just hadn't been studied. And this is the reason we have so much relapse. Let me just, let me just go back. It says... Um, these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink. So the paragraph prior to this is saying that an alcoholic, you know, as long as he doesn't drink, he's perfectly, perfectly okay, normal, just normal. In the dictionary next to normal, you'll see his picture. But he will pick up. Once he picks up, it's impossible for him to stop. Why does he pick up? Why does he pick up? Why in Overeaters Anonymous do we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who get abstinent and pick up chronic relapse, relapse and recovery? We have, you know, not a program of hope. But this explains it, and as we say so many times on this line, we have to understand the problem before we can get the solution. So here it is. Um, these would be academic, pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Here it is. Here it is. Boom, boom, boom. Red light flashing, you know, I don't know, fireworks. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. Major. What does that mean? What does that mean? While I am stark, raving abstinent, or I am peacefully abstinent, you know, I become restless, I become irritable, discontent, while I'm abstinent, maybe for a day, maybe for a week, maybe for a year. I've read stories at Alcoholics Anonymous, 31 years people uh, end up picking up. What is, what is it? Why, why, why? The problem is, is in our mind, the obsession of the mind. That's the thing that says to us, I can, I'll get back on track. I've been doing this, you know, so much. Nobody's going to see me. I'm just going to have one lie, you know. Um, the other piece is that, we, you know, we do, we do abstain from our alcoholic foods, so to speak, our binge foods, no problem. But this is not sugar anonymous. This is not, you know, flour anonymous. This is overeaters anonymous. So what I must do in order to get recovered is abstain from overeating. So that obsession of the mind also says, I'm just going to have a few more carrots. It's not sugar. It's not flour. But this is taking that first bite. You know, we have to understand this. Even if I take an extra stream bean, you know, I have started the, the allergy again, you know, and it is impossible for me to stop. Now, sometimes it looks like we can stop. I'll get back on track, you know, I'll get back on track. I've eaten a box of X-Lax, but I'm going to use all the control I have not to void. And we can hold it in. We can hold our breath underwater, maybe for a day, maybe for a week, maybe for a month. That's what's so cunning and baffling.
That's what's so cunning and baffling, because it looks like we were able to do it. But sure enough, sure enough, the time will come. The body requires us to pick it up. Just a matter of time. So anyway, I love you all. Please keep coming back and have a God-filled day. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Adrian. Adrian, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm the chronic relapser. I'm the man that hits himself over the head with the hammer um, when I have a headache. And I'm the one who who puts the food in my mouth again and again and again. And I know that that there is an there's an answer there for me. I know that the steps is the answer. I know the big book is the answer. And yet I can't seem to grasp it. Um, I've been to thousands of meetings, you know, maybe even close to 100,000 meetings, several meetings a week, sometimes two dozen meetings a week for for almost 40 years. And, and yet I can't seem to grasp that this. Every day I start off abstinent. And I get a, a day, a few days, a few weeks, and then I pick up. And I don't know how to stop. And I really need help. Um, I get. I guess this isn't really where I should be saying this, but I really need help. And and with that, I pass. Thank you, Adrian. We're glad you're here. Anyone else like to comment on what was read this morning? Rose, Rose, and then the gentleman, who is that, please? Tony. Tony, okay. Thank Rose you, Leah. and then Tony. Thanks, Leah. This is Rose, um, recovered, very grateful, compulsive overeater. Um, on the sentence, um, if you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis and the hundred alibis is what um, has my attention right now because a woman called me last week and was asking about what happened last year I mean what happened to me how how come I was around for 39 years or so and um, uh, as a never getting abstinent and staying abstinent I got abstinent but I didn't stay it and uh, and then what happened what was the difference and and the the my my um, my clear answer is what happened to me last year is that for the first time two things happened one i hit bottom i did not find any other way to get a recovery from this disease of compulsive overeating except by seeing i had no personal resources left i had tried for me every imaginable thing possible to do except to admit in my guts that i was a compulsive overeater just like all the rest of them quote unquote in oa and i too was one of them and i did not have a personal solution to apply therefore that brought me to the fact and again it's these words 
and he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. That for me meant I lied. I lied. I never slipped. I didn't relapse. I didn't binge. I didn't struggle. Those words are not part of my vocabulary right now as a recovered compulsive overeater. I lied. When I picked up food, I said, oh, my God, life is too hard. Here, let me eat. And um, and that that was my response to life. I was without defense against the first bite because as the book, this book has been saying so far, I did not understand, know anything that about mental obsession, allergy of the body, because I hadn't been brought through this book. But prior to coming through the book, the, um, uh, the reason why, God bless Harlan for that meeting yesterday, the reason why I ate is that I was powerless, did not have what it took. But I had been brought to OA, and in my first meeting, Back in 1973, I bought the big book. So somewhere, I also had a hundred, many, I had hundreds of alibis why I, I ate, and it was all lying. And the the thing that I've shared is that, is what Ebby Thatcher shared with Bill Wilson on his first visit when he saw that Bill wasn't too inclined to go for a religious whatever approach that Ebby, on leaving, through, I believe, inspiration, said, you've got to get honest with yourself. And I had heard that throughout the years, and I wasn't having any of it. I wasn't having honesty with myself because I wanted that food that I was hooked on. And then when the hopelessness last year came in of knowing I was beat by food. I did not have another solution. And I saw in other people that there was a solution. So all my alibis were literally burning up before my eyes. I couldn't, pardon my saying, bullshit myself anymore or I was going to be dead. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. Tony, please go ahead. Good morning, Vision for You, Tony. Also, over here, I just wanted to acknowledge that I love, and I love, and I love this passage. It's a clear-cut confirmation for me. It's almost like the big book took some Windex and put it on my window and started to clean up a little bit about what's really going on here. It's the distinction between a person who is a compulsive overeater and one who is not. And uh, this is a true reflection of pure insanity and how I have the ability to believe that there's nothing wrong with me when everything is there is wrong. It's the amazing thing because if I sit here and I watch people who's got a bunch of headaches banging their heads with a hammer, I'm going to be like, what is wrong with you, buddy? And um, that's the same thing that society, family and friends used to say to me when I used to beat myself up with food. 
whenever I had any emotional twist or negativity going on, I would take the food and I would beat myself up in the head so that I can cure the illness with inside myself and the results were just pure insanity all over again. Um, and, and it's one of my favorites because I say it like this. Riddle me this, riddle me that. Why does Tony, the compulsive reader, like to think like that? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Anyone else? Nancy, like can I share? Yes, Nancy, on the paragraph. Thank you. Go ahead. Yes, thank you so much. Um, I, I, too, love that paragraph, and I believe that that paragraph is the one that made all the difference for me when I came back from my last relapse. I was I was so frightened the last time that I was in the food that I, I really believed I had passed the line this time. I was one of those that had been, in, been around the rooms for years, and... Um, I just couldn't seem, I, I could get a couple of years. The last time I had a couple of years. And then um, after I had that couple of years, I couldn't get even six months. I mean, I'd get, as we've heard many times, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. But I certainly couldn't get any lasting recovery. And that is because I loved the way that Harlan described it yesterday. I was doing abstinence with group support. I was abstinent with group support. And when I came back this time, and by the grace of God, was able to put the food down and start really getting into the big book with people that knew the big book. And I I was introduced to this meeting, and I heard the truth spoken here. That's what attracted me to this meeting, is because I heard the truth like I had never heard it before. And one of the main truths was that the main problem centered in my mind. The step zero, as it's often called, was putting the food down. The rest of it was working on my mind. I had to get to work on the problem in my mind so that I could experience a spiritual experience. That's where the spiritual experience happens, in my mind, not in my body. No amount of abstinence is going to solve that problem in my mind. It will, I mean, it I mean, aside from the fact that I think more clearly and that kind of stuff when I'm not in the binge foods, obviously, but um, I had to put the food down and then I had to get to work on the steps in order to have a spiritual experience because that, you know, working the steps is what's going what's gonna to bring me the, re- the help being recovered in my mind. You know, the food takes care of the physical allergy. That's one aspect of the disease. But as we just read, the main problem centers in my mind, and that's why I needed the steps. That's why I needed um, to surrender to a power greater than myself, and that has happened. I am walking around in a normal-sized body today, recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I was ready to give up. I was ready to believe that maybe I was one of those constitutionally incapables. I don't know, but I didn't get it. But I know that I stuck around. And I didn't just listen to what was being said on this meeting. I started doing what was being said. I started following the instructions that are clear-cut directions on how to recover. It's in the big book. I learned that. And so I not I didn't just start coming, and I didn't just start reading, and I didn't just start listening. I started doing. So first I was willing, and then I took action, and then I experienced the miracle, which is recovery from compulsive overeating. And I'm so, so grateful today. Um, and I would just encourage the person that spoke up earlier 
um, that's struggling to stick around till after the meeting um, and leave her phone number. Thank you so much for allowing me to share, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paul. Paul. May I share? Hello. This is Rosie. I heard Paula, and then we'll get to the others. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'm going to go right to this line. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. So every time you see therefore, you say, what is it therefore? Let me tell you, the main problem, that's why, and that's what you must know, of the alcoholic centers in his mind, like a beautiful tree, there is a center, there is a beginning, there is a root. This is it. This is the root of the problem. It's not what you see on the outside. Whether it be huge amounts of fat, whether it be way underweight, whatever it is, whatever you see, that's not where the main problem is. The main problem is in his mind. The part that you can't see that's always going, always going, always thinking, always working. And then it clearly says, sometimes, and I love this part, we always have these alibis, sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility. Yeah, well, you know, this happened, that happened. You know, well, that was the reason Where the heck is reason? There is no reason. And then I just wanted to go back to XXVI, come alongside here, and look what it says. In this statement, he confirms. This is it. He tells you over and over again. He confirms what we who have suffered, and that we have. We've heard it on the line today. Alcoholic torture must believe Oh, not just believe, you must believe this, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It comes together. This is the deadly duo here. With that belief and with that belief only can you go forward. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And I believe I heard Melanie. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. And I'm a compulsive overeater, compulsive overeater recovered of the kind that could not understand why I was picking up again. And I'm going to talk about what the last few people have said to me. Let's see if I can say it um, maybe louder <laughs> because I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear it. This is what we're telling me here. This is the piece of all the pieces in this book. They're saying it's the first bite, the first bite. And where did that idea to take that first bite come? My thinking that led to emotion that led me to think I couldn't take that, I could not not take that bite. My head, my head, my head that turned into emotions, that turned into aching, that turned into frustration, that turned into panic, that turned into fear, that turned into the bite. How am I going to interrupt that? It's not any different for me as it was for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, all of you that are out there that are recovered, the same thing happened, the same thing. It was the first bite. Why did I take the first bite? Because I had a thought, and I obsessed about that thought. And I got stronger about that obsessing of that thought. And that the worst for me is it all went into the emotions. And guess what? I'm a runaway freight train addict. And that emotion has run my life. 
recklessly, carelessly, dysfunctionally, destructively that emotion from the thinking all of my life. Fifty years before I came into here, I exchanged that. I banked on that before anything else. And what they teach me to do in this room here, right here, right now, the first bite. You will do whatever it takes, Melanie, to not pick up that first bite. I mean, we're going to go on and explain to you, starting on the last bender, my mind gave me all kinds of reasons that made sense, blah, blah, blah. That's not the, let's just focus right here on this piece, right here. First bite, thinking, emotion, what's the answer? Anything, anything, except for pick up that bite, because it's going to pass, ladies and gentlemen. That urgency, that drive, that, that I have no choice kind of mentality, if I don't pick up that bite, it's going to pass. And I am going to be on my way to a recovered life working the steps. I hope I said it loud enough without a pass. Thank Leia, you so much. Deborah, may I speak? Deborah, go ahead. Leia, this thank is you. And thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. Good morning. Um, delight to be up with all of you and study this big book. Um, I also will say it. Uh, a little bit louder, uh, and um, there was a time I needed to take the cotton out of my um, ears and put it in my mouth and hear, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. And my best thinking got me here. My thinking was, if you want to say, broken. Uh, ill-trained, um, not on purpose. I'm not stupid. I, you know, most of us are. You know, I can tell are very um, intelligent women and men. And you know, as the big books explains, you know, do well in all other aspects of our lives except when it comes to the food issues. And yes, I had to put the food down. And I pretty much needed to lay my um, heart and my mind wide open and just listen to those who went before me to find out how to retrain my mind. And these steps are just divinely inspired that once I put the food down, it was like the minimum requirement the, the things that triggered the allergy, and then I had to find a new way of thinking, and the steps were the way to help me get the psychic change, to gradually get a, a spiritual awakening so that by the grace of God and these steps and this fellowship, I have not had the desire to pick up foods that just drove me insane. Thank you. I pass. Thank you so much. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. This is vital information, and unfortunately, you know, these pages of the big book uh, don't often get cracked open 
and developed in OA rooms. Uh, the inability of the alcoholic to stop once he starts to drink is of little importance, provided, of course, that he stays away from the first drink, right? Whatever happens to that alcoholic once he stop, starts drinking isn't important compared to the importance of not taking that first drink. I mean, what happens to someone that's allergic to, I uh, always talk about my daughters who are allergic to fish, the the uh, reactions to my daughters, what happens to them once they eat fish or once they eat strawberries or kiwi, uh, those kind of items, is academic and pointless if they never take that first bite of those items. Therefore, the main problem centers not on the allergy of the body, not on the allergy of the body. Yes, it's a problem. It's a bad problem, but we have a much Worse problem, the much worse problem is this obsession of the mind that ensures that we will take that first bite, that we will take this first bite. That is the greater aspect of the disease. I mean, people are diagnosed with allergies all the time. You know, there are numbers and numbers and numbers of people allergic to all kinds of substances out there, peanuts, for instance, right? They found out they have an allergy to peanuts, and they just don't eat peanuts anymore all by themselves. They don't eat peanuts for the rest of their lives. They just don't eat it. End of problem. They don't have to go to Peanuts Anonymous. End of problem. But our problem is in our mind, which compels us and keeps giving us permission to pick up that first bite. It's as if our pain has no memory. We've suffered, we have suffered, we've suffered medical consequences, perhaps we've suffered consequences uh, in our family lives, at our jobs, I mean, we have uh, unmanageability, but that suffering uh, has no memory. We can't remember the tears, we can't remember the torture, we can't remember the humiliation, we can't remember the shame. All we remember is that sense of ease and comfort which comes at once after taking those first few bites. That is the insanity that the big book talks about. Everybody in this universe, and unfortunately a lot of people in Overeaters Anonymous, focus on the problems that compulsive overeating causes the weight gain, the medical consequences, the diabetes, but that doesn't help you understand compulsive overeating at all. The real problem here that the big book is stressing is even after all that damage has occurred to you, and even after the illness and this consequences of the disease has been explained to you and to myself and to real compulsive overeaters, in excruciating detail, we still go out and pick up that first bite. That's the insanity that the big book is talking about, and that's what powerless means. It means we are in a situation where we have no defense against that first bite. No defense. And from this point on in the big book, the big book focuses on the mind, the mental state that precedes that first bite and the need for God, for a relationship with God as a defense against that first bite. And it is to help uh, the real compulsive overeater 
against that obsession of the mind, not the allergy of the body, that a, a relationship with God is necessary. Because the restoration of sanity that we need can only come and from the lifting of that merciless obsession that compels us to pick, take that first bite. So you'll notice now the big book is going to start focusing on the mind, the mind. That's why we need a new mind, and we get that through the process of the 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Judith. Judith, go ahead. Who else did I hear back there? Judy. Judy. And who else? Lisa. Okay. Judith, Judy, Lisa. Go ahead. This is Judith, compulsive overeater in Vermont. I would like to tell on my mind. I would like to tell the words that it uses to make me want to make me pick up. And it's it's very clever. What it does is it says, Judith, you really want this. No, you need this. No, you've got to have this, and you're gonna have it. And I am gonna badger you. I am gonna keep talking to you until you give in. So you might as well give in. Because if you don't give in now, 10 minutes from now, I'm going to be still talking to you. And if you don't give in 10 minutes from now, I'm going to do in 11 minutes from now. I'm going to keep talking to you until you give in, so you might as well give in now. And I just want to out the, what my mind says to do that. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. Judy, please. This is Judy B., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I love this line. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. So once we put the food down, that is why we must go into the steps immediately because going through the steps is what brings us to the psychic change and to the new awareness that we don't have to believe the lies that come into our mind. God will give us a new way to think. And, and even being recovered, I mean, there might be a, a minosecond when a thought comes into your mind, you know, a lie, a, you know, a rationalization. And being in the recovered state, immediately, immediately God gives me the, the awareness that it's untrue, you know, and that I don't. I don't have to take the first bite. And I am just so grateful for that relief because it, it, it just makes such a difference in, in the way I live my life every day. I, I don't have to live in fear that the, that the food will take over because I know that there are foods I cannot touch. I know there are foods that uh, will play havoc with me and... And God has just made me so aware that they are not a part of my life. And, and I'm just so grateful for that. And I know it can happen for everybody. It's just, that's just why, though, as soon as we put down the food, we must get into the steps because that is where the change takes place. That is how God works with us to make us aware of the lies that do come into our head. It's just, it, it's a change of our thinking, and that, and that is just, oh, it gives us a new life, a new, a new way to live. And it's just such a beautiful, 
beautiful way to live. And I just I pray for that for everyone that's listening because it's it's um it's beyond our wildest dreams. It's just it's beyond anything that we can uh imagine. And it's such freedom. I love when Leah says, How free do you want to be? It's such freedom to be in that state. I I'm just grateful that we're we'll now be talking about uh how this can can uh, affect us and Anyway, I'm so grateful to be here with all of you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Judy. And Lisa. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. Um, I could just say ditto, 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 but I wanted to share, um, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body it took me a long, long time to get that. And all I wanted to add to what everyone else said was that what it required of me was humility. I did not want to believe that I had a quote-unquote mental illness because that is what we have. If the problem centers in our mind, our minds are sick. There's something wrong with that. And I couldn't accept that. But once I did, once I did, everything changed. And like was formerly said, it doesn't, we're not cured. Even when we recover, we're not cured. And what keeps the sanity for me is on a daily basis, doing 10, 11, and 12, I know that that is the equivalent of taking medication for me. So my mind is at peace and serene, and so I can continue to have the beautiful life that God has given me through recovery. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Lisa. Let's move on to the next paragraph with Deborah, please. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Deborah, and welcome and good morning. Once in a while, he may tell the truth, and the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. And I um, had the pleasure of listening to um, the recording of Harlan yesterday and um, would encourage anybody who's... um, new or struggling, or even for myself, who, by the grace of God, enjoys recovery and is grateful for that, to know that I think of my ego, and Harlan mentioned it yesterday, you know, for me, the ego is the most resentless life coach to go on, if you want to go insane, and how to increase this mental anguish it wore me down. 
I didn't know. I couldn't understand. I thought I was the only one in the world. You know, I didn't know why I did it. I really, I had no more idea why I took that first bite than anybody else. I was indeed part of that baffled lot. And again, they stress, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. I couldn't come up with a reason. I had, you know, I love math, and because once you learn that two and two and it's four, you never have to worry about it changing on you. And that's the way it is. But I kept looking for my own little perfect answer on how to stop the pain, the agony, the crawling in my body because I put the foods in that triggered the allergy, not even understanding that that was what was going on. And then I would be in this, had that oh so temporary, I think the food addiction's got the shortest... (laughs) Um, buzz of any, you know, um, drug. And it just wants you to do more and more and more. And the insanity increased. And my illness, the disease, the disorder, the malady, once it takes hold, I, I just didn't know what to do. And I am just so glad that I, you know, there got to be a point that I couldn't stand it anymore and I was willing to go check out this thing called Overeaters Anonymous and there I saw hope back in 1982 when I walked in and we had the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and um, and I am ever so grateful that that was what I cut my teeth on and with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Who else would like Sherry. to comment? Sherry, go ahead. Janice. Sherry, Janice, thank you. Go ahead. Hey, everybody. I'm so thankful for this uh, this vision for you. I say that every time. I mean, I don't share every time, but anyway. Um, oh, gosh. I'm just, um, um, just enthusiastic about this. So, so grateful. Um, you know, I used food starting at a very young age and had no idea had no idea what I was doing. I thought it was all about the taste, being a child. Um and, and just you know, but but then I began to wonder why I wanted mine and then I wanted yours and yours and, and my mind was just really just focused on the food. Um and you know, but but I used it not knowing that to to comfort myself and to um and I just got I guess it just became so much a part of me that that was that was the balm I used on myself to deal with life disappointment or um and or and and um you know, just when I was hurt, um, I never knew I was I hurt, but but I, I just you know it's it is just insanity. That's what it is. 
um, and, and I'm just I'm just so grateful. Um, I think I, that's all I have for right now. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you for sharing, Janice. Please. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Once in a while, He may tell the truth. Well, we're getting to the truth here. We're starting to uncover a little bit of something in the mind of a chronic alcoholic, the mind of a chronic compulsive overeater like me, like me. Sometimes he may tell the truth because he does not know why he picked up that first bite. Truly, he doesn't know. He cannot give any reasons, any excuses. Sometimes he just knows. If he's anything like me, he just knows, I I don't know why I did it. I had every intention not to. I was utterly and thoroughly convinced that this time it would be different. This time the food is down for good. I am done. I cannot do this anymore. And I would find myself picking up. And the truth, strange to say, is usually he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. I got to the point, my human ego stretched to the breaking point where I did not know anymore why I kept picking up. I longed, I kept thinking that little bit of bliss that came from taking that first bite was going to happen to me again. But guess what? It stopped happening. I couldn't stop and I couldn't stay stopped and I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was done. Because once this malady has a real hold on me, they are a baffled lot. They are baffled. They cannot differentiate the true from the false anymore, even though they know it's injurious to them, like it says in the doctor's opinion. Thank God the doctor's opinion laid this out for us. Allergy of the body. Once I picked up that first bite, I could not stop. The allergy of my body kicked in. Physiologically, there's no stopping what happens to me when I pick up that first bite. But now the truth is becoming clear to me that I can't stop myself from starting. And that is when that self-sufficient, ego-driven person that I was was stretched to the breaking point. And that's exactly where I needed to get. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. It's all I had. Couldn't I stop? Couldn't this time be different? Wouldn't it be different? But it never was different. And I don't know about you, but when you get to that point, when you get to that point, the human ego stretched to the breaking point. It made me ready for this solution. It made me ready for this very information in this very paragraph, in this very book. That I had a need for a power greater than me. And that power was going to be God. But I wouldn't get there one moment sooner, not one second sooner, until I knew this information. Because I had that obsession going in my head that someday I would beat the game. But I couldn't get there anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't stay abstinent, and I couldn't get the relief from the food anymore. And when you get to that point, 
Where else do you have to go? Your mind cracks open. Your mind cracks open. And the idea of God can be planted. And with that, I'll pray. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Yes, Paula. Thank you. This is Sharon. I'd like to share. Hello? Uh, yes. Paula, and then Sharon, please. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. I want to scoot onto that line once. Once this malady has a real hold, and that it does, and that it does. William James says it binds you and it blinds you. You can't see anymore, and you're held tight. They are a baffle lot. There is the obsession, the persistent obsession, a persistent attack. Don't let up. It don't let up. There's no relief in sight. See, we always went to the same place for relief. And then again, it starts again that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. But then we have the but there. But they often suspect they are down for the count. It's a ticking, honey. It's a ticking. Only the steps stop the ticking in God himself. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass and move away. Thank you, Paula. And Sharon? Yes, this is Sharon. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, Wow. Um, I am just so grateful for everyone who has shared on the line this morning and listening to Harlan yesterday. You know, I feel sometimes like, boy, I the example of the person beating his head with the hammer to get rid of the headache is exactly the perfect analogy because that's exactly what I used to feel like was that I, I, I wish my head had a off button like a computer does, that it completely shuts down. And I am seeing that the mental illness, that mental obsession is the key but it also must, I must accept, like Harlan said, the physical allergy will always be with me, will always be with me. I will not be ever cured from that. But the obsession of the mind and the thought of mental illness for me had such strong um, things attached to it because I grew up in a home where there was mental illness. So that was the last thing I ever wanted to believe would ever be my, my dilemma. And yet that mental obsession is exactly what that dilemma is all about. And only God, only God can save us from that. And that requires our willingness to lay down my own distorted beliefs about anything, including mental illness, and be willing to use these steps, these principles to overcome that obsession that goes on in my mind because I can obsess about anything and not just food. I mean, my mind can start to obsess and that's what God can change for me. That's what God can do for me. And I am just so grateful that this, uh, these two paragraphs just, um, just came alive to me today and I am so grateful and I thank you and I pass. Thank you very much, Sharon, and thank you to everyone this morning who shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy B., are you available to please read a vision for you? 
Yes, I am. Good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.